All right. Welcome back to, or welcome to episode four, uh, if this is your first time joining us. My name's Nick Taskey, and today I'm joined by Matt Sorensen, who is, uh, he's a he's a Czech instructor for, for one, um, lives in Sydney. I'll, I'll pass over to Matt to let him introduce yourself I'm sure, or himself. I'm sure there's a little bit more to him than, than just being a Czech instructor, but um, that's sort of what, what uh, sparked my interest initially. Yeah, cool. Um, my name is Matt. I'm a Czech instructor. I've <laughs> <laughs> uh, been on the faculty for, I want to say 2017, I think. I could be lying, but let's, let's go with that for now. I, um, I've been studying Paul's work, I think, since about 2009-ish and was just hungry to get through the material, to learn it, to master it, uh, especially when my dad got sick in 2010, 11, thereabouts, and he got diagnosed with prostate cancer. He's fine now. But just that whole... Um, the whole experience was just genuinely appalled at how he was treated by the system. And um, that really sparked a journey for me to just study as much as I could. When I say sparked the journey, I mean, I was possessed as a student and I had to know anything and everything regarding holistic health, um, talking, working, studying 12, 16 hours a day, sacrificed relationships and just I was yeah I was on that path and it wasn't really until probably COVID started that all put a handbrake on on things but during that time yeah studied all the the Czech material worked with Paul himself one of his faculty now um, been meaning to go to San Diego for the last what two three years for a meeting, but um, I'm on the naughty list to fly. So, <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe this year we'll get there. But, um, yeah, making my way through, I was first introduced to the totem pole, obviously, uh, back in early days. And I wanted to be able to work with people at each level. And so I studied with dentists, with the jaw, studied with um, chiropractors, with the neck, eye specialists, inner ear, um, what's it called, vestibular mm -hmm. people, all these kinds of things, but no one really knew how to work with the organs mm. apart from, say, from a nutritional point of view. And then I heard of this concept called visceral manipulation. I think it was 2013. I just finished my remedial massage diploma and kind of got sick of working on the muscles pretty quick. It's, it's a hard job, so I respect yep. anyone who does that for a living. And I found this uh, this technique that this guy called Burrell, uh worked on. And he didn't actually invent it, but he, uh, you could say, probably modernized it and honed in and made it a thing to what we know of today. And it was just a way with physically, manually working with the organs and mobilizing correcting the soft tissues surrounding the organs so it's very very light very very precise a lot of anatomy involved and with the the organ stuff comes the nerves it also comes the the, 
the blood vessels in and around that those structures so you kind of have to study all that as well so been doing that primarily as manual therapy since about 2013 as well as all the corrective exercise stuff and also did a diploma in behavioral therapy oh yeah as well after studying um what sparked that i think it was four quadrant check four quadrant that kind of got me into the psyche of it psyche aspect ah, that, of like it. the pps success side of there, things kind of yeah yeah, yeah okay it's yeah it's a cousin of that. yeah okay and studied carolyn Wiss's work uh through medical intuition did medical massage with her all kinds of non-conventional kind of courses that weren't really university based or based here based there um very kind of around the the loop instead of the what a psychologist would learn i learned all the well what drives the stuff that they're working on type things so a lot of study a lot of um late nights a lot of swearing <laughs> at times um so yeah that kind of led me into producing kind of what i do today really mm. what what so how did you initially start on i know you said you started studying the czech stuff in 2009 but were you like a regular pt or, or something like that prior to that Yeah, so before that, I was actually a greenkeeper. I'm a greenkeeper by trade, and I did that for close to 10 years. So I got sick of the early mornings and the, the weekend work and the golf balls being hit at you and all that kind of stuff. So I got into PT. My mentor at the time was an exercise physiologist, and he we had three weekly meetings and he saw me training someone and he, one of our meetings, he said, I can see you trying to figure things out. I think you'd get a lot out of this guy. And he, and prior to this point, he'd handed, I watched that many videos, that many articles on abdominal wall function, sacroiliac, this balance, that all the kind of stuff. And it was Paul's scientific core conditioning. So one, I remember one rainy weekend in Sydney, it was pissing down with rain. So I watched this DVD and I was just blown away with not only the just the, the material itself, but the intimacy in which Paul knew it. And I thought, God, this guy have, must have seven master's degrees or something. And later found out that it's all self-taught. So I was respect. So I watched that. I applied the principles of that to myself and it worked. Then I started doing that with my clients in the gym. I was working in the fitness first at the time, worked. And I saw other trainers sort of looking at me like, what are you doing a crunch over a ball for? Things like that. So I channeled my inner Paul check and gave them the explanation and, oh, yeah, that makes sense. So they started to hire me to help consult with their clients. And that was when, oh, there's something in this. And so I did all the prereqs did what was exercise coach back then and that week nearly killed me it was um i was living in Karingbar at the time which is close next to cronulla mm -hmm. and driving 
two hours to the very north of Sydney every single day, getting your head just pumped full of information, driving two, three hours home in peak hour traffic. And State of Origin was on on the Wednesday, so it took me about three and a half hours to get home through the city. And then you've got homework to do on top of that. So I I wasn't getting to bed till 1, 2 a.m., Mm -hmm. up at six to get there before the traffic starts and that week just nearly killed me and but the the stuff i learned that week was actually how much i didn't know Mm. i thought you know working as a pt i think for two years at this point i've been kind of from a a mentoring apprentice point of view sponging off an exercise physiologist for this whole time thought i knew stuff and then within about 10 minutes like shit, i don't know anything Mm. Um, so it was quite humbling, but um, it was just like my soul drove me through it. The more I got through the levels, just the hungrier I got. And then that's all the physical stuff, of course, but then you've got to realize you've got to back that up with the nutrition lifestyle stuff as well. Mm-hmm. And then what drives all that is the psyche. So you know, on paper, I'm a, you know, any Czech professional could be a PT, but the, you, you do a lot more than you know. That's for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. I remember when I took exercise coach back in 2017 and I probably knew less than what you, what you knew when, when you got into it. Um, and you know, I doing the homework, you know, same thing, got back home and, and it was like, uh, Donald Carr was the instructor at the time and it was like this, this homework. And I, you know, I was like, where do I start? I didn't know, you know, you, you're working. I, I think exercise coach is kind of focused around, uh, more so the hip and, and I might be incorrect about that, but I, you know, I didn't know that the hamstrings, you know, what the function of the hamstrings was and, and or what the quads did. And, and, you know, it was, it was like a, I think the first day I handed in homework, it was like, he probably looked at that and was like, what, like, you know, there, there was just like no, no knowledge whatsoever there. Um, and so, yeah, it was, I, I was blown away by, by the material um, when I saw it. And, you know, at the time, I think there was some guys there who'd, studied exercise physiology or exercise science or something like that. And, you know, after that week, they were like, I just learned more in these last five days than I learned in my entire degree, which was, you know, probably just as mind blowing for them, but maybe, uh, maybe a little bit uh, deflating at the same time. It is as well. Um, You know, it's, it's kind of weird being the instructor of, what's called IMS now instead of exercise coach. But I remember driving away from that course feeling really guilty because I'd been charging people for programs I've written and that was shit. Like looking back at it now, I was I was probably making half of the stuff up. So I kind of felt a bit bad of what I'd been doing. So I said to all my clients moving forward from that point, if this doesn't get result in a certain amount of time, I'll give you your money back. And I mean, there's a few people that play mind games with that, but um, yeah, when we have the courses now, there's, there's inevitably one Cairo physio EP, someone like that in the class. And you, you, you don't expect them to know answers, but you have to wonder what they do learn in that degree. And there was an osteo in, I think, the last class I taught. 
and oh, I can't remember what muscle it was, but she's, she said, how do you know all that? I'm like, how don't you know that? You've got a degree in anatomy. But it's the just the depth in which it goes and it's it's really fun instructing because there's different learning styles for different kind of people so you have to explain the same thing about 18 different ways sometimes but that's kind of that's all part and parcel of it and um i think for me ims1 is a it should be mandatory for every personal trainer or physio that, to attend the, that week for sure it's kind of interesting that you talk about like learning styles as well because i i remember um, maybe being a little bit blown away by how paul had investigated learning styles at the same time and so he was you know he was trying to accommodate for people of different learning styles in the way he taught and so he was like you know the way people are educated in school is is it's all uh, I don't remember exactly which style it is. You know, you sit down in front of a whiteboard and the teacher tells you, you know, <clears throat> the teacher writes on the board and, and speaks to you and there's no, uh, you know, th- there's there's not much beyond that. You know, no one's guiding you and showing you uh, perhaps how to perform a movement or, um, you know, there's there's a, a visual learning style and then there's audio, audio or audible learning, learning styles and then there's, kinesthetic where you have to be literally shown how to do it and you know um he he kind of incorporated these different methods into into the way he teaches and i found that you know uh i, I don't know exactly which category i fit into but it, it, it was um yeah his his stuff goes you know far beyond just telling you how things work yeah i mean growing up at school, I remember feeling really stupid because I couldn't get my head around maths. And my dad's an accountant. So I came home with a failed maths test to an accountant. I did not inherit that gene at all. And he's sort of taking me through things and saying, well, how don't you get this? I remember saying, I think we'll talk about algebra or something. And I said, Dad, maths is hard enough with the numbers. Now they've added letters to it. What am I supposed to make of that? And then we spent an hour or three on long division, which I still haven't used today. Weird. And that just wasn't my, in hindsight, I can see it clear, but at the time, that just wasn't my learning style. I was very much uh, visual and audio. And if I'd had an anesthetic element to that, then it was locked in for sure, forever. So what Paul's done, and Paul's quite similar to me in that way, where he didn't really start reading, writing in that in an educational capacity till he was sort of mid-20s. Mm-hmm. And I hit that kind of late 20s for me. It's only kind of in the last probably 10 years, I've become a real nerd with that kind of stuff. And up till that, it was for me, it was all visual and it was all maybe auditory. And I, I just had to do it to learn it. And what today's schools don't really do is that element. And whether they can or not could be a different discussion altogether because some, like my, my sister's a teacher and she has 30 kids in her class. So how to accommodate all that. But if you ever had the experience of being taught by Paul, I did HLC two and three with Paul himself. And he didn't look at the manual once. It was just all 
in story form. And it was just an incredible kind of experience. And I think halfway through day five, he's just, oh, yeah, we should look at the manual. And um, so that for me was pretty inspiring, just that he knew it. I mean, he wrote it, so he should <laughs> kind yeah, of know yeah. it. Um, but yeah, if the tricky thing with that is spotting what student needs what, and it becomes pretty evident if you know what you're looking for. So, yeah, we try and accommodate everyone and everything with that. Mm. I think um, I think one of the things, and, and and this might just be the circle that I'm in or, or my perception of it, but I think one of the things that a lot of people struggle with is that they still don't really understand, you know, what what check actually is about or or and and maybe i don't understand it to the to the fullest extent even though i think i do but um you know the the exercise start of things really starts with you know posture and and it's that that's the foundational level right like um you can look in uh, a a physiotherapy uh textbook and you'll have the range of motion for you know whatever muscle you can think of in the entire body or 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 a specific joint um you know how far the knee should move and and how far the hip should flex or and extend um and i i guess my understanding of of what paul has done is he said well what what's at the level of at least exercise coaches or ims one is uh let's let's bring the body into uh anatomical neutral um and and that will be our starting point you know um is, is that is that kind of a, a a basic a very basic understanding of the way the way it works yeah so he goes off um what's his name yonder vladimir yonder no the um talk the rc factor um ah uh, yeah uh, yeah dijon yeah so yep. it's really about to have joint stability, you need equal and opposite equal and opposite contraction either side of the joint. So, from kind of biomechanical point of view, that's where the postural stuff comes in. You can look at uh, Punjabi's model, which Matt Walden really likes, which is the um, you know the the triad of joint stability. You can look at uh, Vladimir Yonder's work. You can even look at Voiter's work, which goes back into infant development stuff, which is more IMS2 now. Mm-hmm. And it's posture itself can be such a complicated subject because there's so many different aspects that can influence posture. Um, but what we teach in IMS1 is really just to identify if the quads are tight and they're pulling this way and they're overpowering the hamstrings and glutes what's that going to do to the pelvis and if that's going to take someone out of neutral now for someone that can be complicated enough took me a a while to i I had to turn the muscles into a pulley system Mm -hmm. just so my mind could grasp that concept and then from there you can add another complication to it well are they in pain so you might need to train them, stretch them, get them out of neutral, and then slowly back into what we call neutral. And there's been a lot of debate over the recent years what neutral actually is. And I mean, 
we have clinical norms for what neutral is. So, for example, for a male pelvis, four to seven degrees of anterior tilt is considered neutral. For a female, it's seven to ten. You can throw lots and lots of spanners in the works for that with a pain, with the leg length discrepancy, with all kinds of different things. Mm -hmm. um, but what the check system is really good for is giving you all of that information and we're all going to synthesize that differently. Mm -hmm. So that's just where the anatomy, the movements kind of are taught in that way. So you know, well, that person's got excessive anterior tilt or hyperlordosis, so we need to strengthen these muscles. What exercises do that? Mm. And that's how you can bring them back into a, a structural balance kind of thing. Um, I, When I teach, I, I touch on the psychological aspect of that because it's our – it's really our soft tissues that reflect our emotional anatomy and it's our – skeleton that portrays our underlying psychological state at the time so it's more of a beware of that as well especially if what you're doing isn't quite working then there is something else to potentially look at or refer to or you know if it's a psychological issue take them to a psychologist or a high level check professional so it's giving them the power as well to be able to spot that if they if they don't know how to deal with it that's fine at least they know who to refer to and then the client gets the result everyone's happy yeah and so i i guess what you're really saying there is there's different methods or different ways of resolving problems for different people and so if someone for example comes and they've got the typical anterior pelvic tilt and stretching the quads and strengthening the hamstrings isn't working then what you're saying is Let's go a level deeper than that. And that's what the check system really teaches you to do is find what the cause of the problem is. Uh, yeah, that, and, and I, I suppose you yeah, go deeper so, and I mean, deeper the, as, as you progress through the levels. Well, you, you do because you go, let's say, level one is quads, adductors, etc. Insert here, originate here, hamstrings the same. So when you strengthen a muscle, you bring origin insertion closer together. When you stretch, mm -hmm. you separate origin insertion. That confuses a lot of people, but then you show them and that kind of makes some sort of sense. Now with anatomy, there's a couple of ways you can look at, look at it. And that is if you ask any, let's say PT or physio, how many muscles there are in the human body? They'll say, well, depending on what book you read, there can be 360 to 400 muscles. Now, that's what an, an anatomy book will show you because it's all very neat, all very carved out, very nicely painted or drawn or whatever. But in reality, there aren't 400 muscles in the body. There's one muscle hanging out in 400 different places and everyone's anatomy is different. So an ectomorph will probably have less muscle than an endomorph because where the endomorph will have a muscle, the ectomorph might have a ligament. Mm -hmm. So it's always different. And what can that muscle do without the other 300 odd muscles doing their job as well? So 
it can get really complicated, but it's not as clear cut as a, if you got this, do that. So that's what the check system is really good. Just be aware of there's other stuff potentially going on. And by the time you get to level kind of four and five, you're, you're talking about the, the one muscle in the 400 different places and how it all ricochets throughout and the whole body is we're not just muscles we're not just bones we're not just joints we're we're an endocrine system we're a neurological circuitry we're an arterial vascular tree we've got systems upon systems upon systems mm -hmm. wired hard to keep you alive and any kind of threat to that which could be a pain point is a survival threat to the organism mm. So that's when they start compensating and that's when pain starts to happen. So our job is to find, well, why, first of all, why aren't they self-healing? What's the compensatory mechanism and what's creating that? Mm. And then by the time you get to that level, the exercise is kind of, it helps, but there's other stuff we need to, we need to work on as well. Yeah. And so that's where if if you take the the lifestyle coaching side of things hand in hand with the with the exercise or the the physical side of things like the practitioner side of things you start to see things interconnect right and so you're 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 layering and you're you're collecting more and more information and so like what Paul talks about it and I'm I'm sure you're you're intimately um, aware or or you probably practice this every day in your in your visceral manipulation but you know you start to see that uh, organs and muscles hold hands and and you know the the fascia um around the liver you know is is well it's it's all interconnected where uh and 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 what you start to see you know when you when you take someone's uh you know HAQ from uh from holistic lifestyle coaching level 2 the the symptoms uh that you see you know uh, in their liver relate to to something happening in the right mm. shoulder because you know every you know, it's it's you know Paul often talks about the the liver is related to the right shoulder and so you start to see that the problem in the right shoulder isn't actually beginning in the shoulder it's 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 got to do with the liver and you could probably take it beyond that to the the psychological level and in that you know I think there's certain parts of medicine that say the liver stores anger and so you could take it even further than that but um, it, it gets you start to see how the body works as a web, right? Well, it's not only a web, it's just a, without getting, depends how deep you want me to go, but well, I want you to go deep. We're a mind, body, spirit complex. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we're a mind, body, spirit complex. It's the unseen factors that really drive the scene. It's the, intangible that drive the tangible and if we're using the liver as an example the muscles and the and the organs don't necessarily hold hands the the um the organ if they do hold hands the organ is the much older wiser brother and tells the little brother what to do and how to act so example of a liver the liver communicates to the right shoulder capsule in particular via the phrenic nerve so anytime the liver is under tension under stress the phrenic nerve picks up that tension communicates that to the right shoulder so your body's way of saying stop doing what you're doing because you're hurting one of your kind of prime organs here 
is your right shoulder will start to ache. Mm. Now, the liver itself has got eight different parts to it, and every organ has a, a physical, mechanical function. It's also got a metabolic function or a uh, metabolic function. It's got an emotional function as well or a psychological function and an immune function or a circulatory kind of function. So depending where the stress is, let's say the emotional thing, the mental emotional thing, how that really works is each organ is an is a organ of reception. So just the same way as let's say um, TV attracts TV waves, the radio attracts radio waves, your phone attracts microwaves, your liver will attract liver waves. Mm-hmm. Your stomach will attract stomach waves. Now instead of the word waves, turn that into consciousness. Mm-hmm. So if your liver is attracting consciousness on the level of anger, fear, um, well, frustration's more gallbladder, but they they hold hands. Um, being a prisoner of your own routine, issues about what you call God, um, deep self-esteem, pessimism, joy as well. It's not just all the bad, all the bad stuff. Yeah. But each organ has its own receptivity to certain emotions, certain psychological themes that have an emotional correlation and the combination of all the organs is what allows us to have human consciousness just like cows have organs as well obviously mm-hmm. but their organ their organs have a slightly different function metabolically obviously but also they attract cow consciousness so a cow and a human see a car we have a very different experience mm-hmm. so all of that gets recorded by the body and to the degree you're healthy within your organ system, you'll be able to have a clear perception because for example, a lot of people think thoughts come from the brain, zero evidence in any literature suggesting thoughts come from the brain. The brain itself is more of a satellite dish. It just picks up information. The ego filters that down ego part of the brain's a default mode network. That filters it down through the nervous system, which is a vehicle for the mind. The organs then decode those messages, translates those into the angers, the fears, the joy, the happiness, all that kind of stuff. It translates those for us to have the experience of that. Mm-hmm. Now, whether that's a good experience, that's entirely up to you based on your own value, values, biases, blah, blah, blah. But when we are clogged up in our visceral system, those perceptions that we perceive are clogged up to the degree we are. So you and I could be having a conversation and I could tell you something and you could take offense to it Mm -hmm. as an example. That means you have a blockage somewhere. You're not feeling my truth in an attempt to connect to you in this situation. So therefore, you're going to go back into your kind of default psychological setting for, I could have triggered something for when you were eight years old, let's say you're going to perceive and project from the level of an eight year old. Mm -hmm. And that could be throwing a tantrum or telling me off, whatever that looks like. And that's how a lot of people live their lives. 
But when you can clean yourself up, when you can sort of, when I say research, I mean research yourself mm -hmm. because everything in life you are the point of attraction to so therefore anything that you perceive is a reflection of you and you're just experiencing a different aspect of yourself that you perceive that's outside yourself but ultimately you're the one perceiving it and it takes a healthy visceral system a healthy vascular system healthy muscle system healthy system mm -hmm. in general to have that clean experience so you can experience what is real and what is true for you as an individual it's when you don't move right when you eat crap food drink all kinds of stuff that's when it that's when the um the satellite dish can get a bit fuzzy mm -hmm. and when we're talking about posture why posture is such important from a psychological and emotional viewpoint is the spine itself is an antenna now you can bring the chakra systems into this each part of the spine has a certain psychological theme that it's um, that it resonates to that it vibrates to now if the if the antenna is bent you don't get a very clear signal mm. i'm sure we've all had the experience at some point, well, probably not the new generations, but being up on the roof trying to move the antenna to get clear signal to watch the footy. Um, although when it was raining, no TV that night, back in the good old days. And yeah. it's the same with posture. If the antenna's straight and your posture's in, in, a, in good alignment, you'll get a clear signal. If your body's clean, you'll get a clean, honest projection of the truth. So... It's all that. It's just one example of how it's all interconnected. Mm. And so, I, I guess to distill that a little bit for people, what you're talking about is is the body as a vehicle of perception. Um, and and so you know, um, you, you can imagine uh, what a kyphotic posture, what what the emotional and and mental state of a person with you know rounded shoulders and and you know a drop forward head is feeling like in comparison to someone who's. Uh, who's more open or more neutral? And uh, <clears throat> I guess, I, I guess there's, there's, you know, everyone wants to say, well, there's evidence to back this up, and and I, I might be that person, but you know, you can, you can, you can literally find research on um, that that say or the that uh, the backs that men with with uh, kyphotic posture have a lower level of testosterone than men who who stand with an open chest, um, and and so you on that level of the spine, I, I guess what you're talking about is, you know, the, the, the rounded forward shoulders and the, the dropped forward head and the, the collapsed chest, uh, is signaling to the rest of the body, uh, that, uh, maybe you're, you know, in a, in a fear state, um, or, you know, maybe there's a reason to have low self-esteem, you know, that, that posture is, is signaling low self-esteem. And so, you know, the, the unconscious part of the body interprets that as, uh, hey, let's let's produce less testosterone. Have I still got you? Yeah. So that'd be more the subconscious mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it keeps dropping in and out, but I can't yeah, get okay. half the question in slow mo than the other half in about two seconds. So. 
That's all right. We, we can work with that. Um, we can work with that. I might yeah, turn so my with camera a off. With posture, rounded shoulders, clapped all that kind of stuff. That so the body works on the premise of it hugs tension, and the body hugs tension in an attempt to protect the organism. So, someone who's quite kyphotic, you can see what you're hugging. You're hugging your heart center, so you're shutting off your heart because likely you've been hurt. So it's a protective kind of thing. Someone who's been metaphorically kicked in the guts, obviously going to help, um, well, not help their self-esteem, so they're going to hug that tension. And because we have to maintain binocular vision on the horizon, our head's always going to stay in a certain position, but the rest of our body has to um, compensate that. And someone with a closed heart, low self-esteem, will often present as someone with, say, depression or anxiety because they don't get the flow, they don't get the movement through those centres that perceive those, let's say, themes. And it's the unconscious mind which stores our memories. They, we get, we wear our unconscious through the subconscious. So the subconscious would be a physical manifestation of our, excuse me, of our unconscious and our antenna or our posture is what we present to the world so being a mind body spirit complex the the mind builds the reality for that person the emotions are the inner gps system that take you towards what you want hopefully compared to what you don't want but whatever you're focused on, you're going that direction. The physical vehicle is just along for the ride, really. And it records the experience, <clears throat> records the experience, but it's the spirit that animates the entire thing. Mm-hmm. So if someone's got a lot of energy and really bubbly, we call them spirited. Well, that person's in high spirit. So if you don't know how to translate it, say clinically, you can look at it symbolically because that's how the psyche speaks to us. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what's, I guess, left out of a lot of medicine and all that kind of stuff. The closest they would have to that would be, I guess, Latin terminology, which this word comes from that, which means this, and now we've changed it to that. So that's a complicated discussion. It's been very, very prevalent over the last three years. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So that could be another, another show. <laughs> Yeah, it could be another one. Uh, so let's talk a little bit, and and I did ask you about this before we started recording, but let's talk a little bit about how something as simple as as water quality, um, you know, can can have uh, an effect on the tissues. And and I, I guess I've taken a little bit of an interest more recently in you know I've 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 always drunk um, or or you know for you know, probably the last 10 years I've drunk high quality water, but um, it's it's occurring to me more and more. Um, and, and I guess the latest science is showing this is that, um, you know, the, the body stores memory in tissue. And so when we're talking about uh, the, you know, posture and when we're talking about, say, a kyphotic posture, we're also talking about how, um, you know, uh, 
how that posture is is representative of the emotional state and and what's really at uh at the core of that is is the water networks or the fascial networks throughout the body am i am i kind of hitting hitting the nail a little bit there in my explanation of that i think so i only think i heard half of your question but i think i've got the the nuts and bolts of it um the body does hold memory. The so what there's a there's, there's multiple aspects to that. So the body holds the memory. It records the memory of that that person, place, thing, situation, whatever it is. Now, depending on the psychological theme and the emotional attachment to it, you'll hold that in a certain part of the body from a osseous point of view our joints particularly particularly the type four mechanoreceptors in the joints have a very intimate connection with the part of the brain that responds to that psychological theme so when we hold memory our body does store it so when we're angry we'll store that in the liver but we'll also hold that in the amygdala in the brain and then depending what process is attached to that anger, we'll store that in a different part of the brain. So what visceral manipulation does in this sense will dissipate the tension between that particular part of the brain and that particular part of the liver in this situation. How it can also work is with the emotion, we literally hold emotion in the fascia surrounding the tissue. Now, I remember... Oh, what's the old Dower guy? Um, oh, Boyer. Boyer, thank you. Yeah. He was talking all about fascia, 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 fascia. Everything's fascia. And a lot of therapists and trainers now are oh, training the fascia, we'll stretch the fascia. It's all about the fascia, 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 fascia. So that was the new buzzword for a long time. Is fascia important? Of course it is. With that said, I remember asking Burrell, who taught Boyer, so hmm. you know, he um, was saying something about, I think someone asked him, why, do, why doesn't he work with the fascia directly? He goes, no, no, fascia's stupid. And then the whole class was like, oh, cool. Um, so when, when he's talking about the fascia being stupid, it doesn't have, it requires that over there to be stimulated, activated. So this thing over here can move or that be transported there. The reason he took such an interest in the organs is because the organs regulate flow to the muscles and the joints, not only just physically, but there is a high uh, mental emotional correlation to that as well. So that's why he took a very particular interest in that. And it's really easy to get um, tension in the organs relative to the muscles. All you have to do is be anxious about something for a little bit and you'll start developing tension around the stomach. Now that can have a physical, um, that can cause a physical issue. It can cause a metabolic issue it can create more anxiety. So it becomes a mental, emotional 
thing as well. So there's multiple areas that that can affect. And that's why uh, Burrell always said, when you're working with someone's organs, mobilizing that tissue, you're always doing a lot more than you know. So you can go to a, a rolfer and get your connective tissue stretched out and you'll feel amazing after, most likely after, not during, because shit. Yeah, but I have um, heard that. That will have some kind of an effect. But that's working from the outside in, where the visceral is more of a systemic approach. It's from the inside out. Mm-hmm. Now, I, in my book, What Pain is Telling You, I explain that firstly, we're wired to survive. And anytime we go into a compensatory pattern, which is usually where pain kind of, that's the start point for Mm. pain. It's trying to minimize compression of an artery, a nerve, an organ, some kind of soft structure inside. So you can cut your arm and it'll hurt and it'll bleed and you can patch it up without too much kind of um, too much effect going forward. Mm -hmm. If you have a tiny cut in the aorta, that can be game over. So Mm. the subconscious mind will adapt any posture it needs to, to try and protect that structure so it can carry on keeping you alive. And that's where these functional compensations start to happen. Because if that's now compromised and this has to move there and that's got to react different and that's got to move like this now and put more weight on that and twisting this, et cetera, et cetera. That leads to structural compensations. And that's typically where pain turns from an itis into an osis Mm. or a diagnosis. So that's why I subtitled the book, your diagnosis is really just a symptom. Mm. So that's why personally I took a particular interest in the organs as well because I knew how powerful that work is. Mm. I've, I've seen pictures that you've shared on your Instagram um, and, and I might share some of these um, later on in, in, you know, clients that you've worked on where I, I don't know what part of their body that you've worked on, but you know, this, this person will walk in looking like they have a severe scoliosis and I don't know what organ you've worked on or, or where you've uh, done your visceral manipulation work, but there's like a night and day difference between what the person looked like uh you know, when they came in and what they look like when they left. And uh, I'm sure what you're telling me is that the work you're doing is, is probably um, not as, as physically demanding as um, or, or as painful as, as people will think it is based on what the pictures look like before and after. Did I drop out there? No, but the funny thing about those pictures yeah, I think I've I've got the gist of. I'm gonna turn my about. I'm gonna turn my um, camera off. I don't know if that'll make a difference. Do you want me to turn mine off as well? Um, let's let's see how we I'll go. Give it a shot for a couple of seconds. Yeah, yeah, let's do that. Okay, so it's funny you talk about those pictures because I think about ninety percent of those pictures. Um, People don't really feel different. They feel better later that day. And I remember I had one lady come in. Uh, she had a, a significant limp. 
mm-hmm. and I re- I videotaped the whole thing, and I wanted to post it, but she did she didn't want me to. It's like damn it. <laughs> um, anyway, when I was working on her, she came in with a huge lateral shift of the spine. She kind of looked like that. Yeah, like a. But she like came a, in. Yeah. Came in with a limp, and she came in with right shoulder pain. So I did some work on her, and ninety percent of the session was her liver. Mm-hmm. The first thing her liver told me was that she she had um, some kind of scarring on the immune part of the liver. Mm-hmm. I worked on the liver. I worked the liver. Did all that kind of stuff until it finally freed up. Now. I got her to stand up and just kind of walk around the clinic, which she did for a few minutes. And the limp was still there, but it was significantly less. She did not feel any different whatsoever. Her spine was straight, straight as an arrow. And by that afternoon, I think I saw her at about 10 o'clock, I think. She sent me a a video at about 5 o'clock that afternoon, and there was no limp. That even shocked the hell out of me. And she said, I don't, still don't feel any different. My shoulder still hurts. And I'm like, mm. what about the hundred other things that look and feel better? Yeah. But she didn't even recognize that her limp wasn't there. Yeah, wow. So it's a, for some people, it's a huge difference. Uh, for some people, you can simply just open the valves up between organs and they can, poo for the first time in six days. It can be as as subtle as that. And they'll, they just feel amazing afterwards. And then other people come in all twisted and bent and whatnot. And you unwind an organ or two or three, and then they just sit up straight. Like, yeah, don't really feel much different. And like you show them in the mirror, like, yeah, no, looks the same. And, but that's just really the disconnect between yeah. them and them. I, w- I was I was going to say yeah, that, and I, I I keep having this conversation with I, I've probably had it with the last three people I've spoken to. So you're the fourth guest, and you're the first person, the fourth person I've had this conversation with. But people are so disconnected from the way they feel, and I, I guess I guess it's 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 really you know we're we're kind of almost trained to be disconnected um you know you you every time you you feel a feeling of pain um you you're medicating it in some way whether that's taking a panadol or whether that's you know uh eating something in that's healthy in inverted commas um to to try and uh dissipate that pain we're always trying to 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 avoid pain um and 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 discomfort of any kind um yeah there's multiple levels to that, mm. in my humble opinion. Um, whether you know we're, we're essentially being taught to disconnect from ourselves. That you know, my sister is a is a teacher, and she kind of she gets taught what to teach, or she gets mm-hmm. told what to teach, I should say, and we get taught what to think, not how to think. Mm. So if you get taught what to think then they're not really your thoughts. So yeah. not your thoughts, you can't really live your life, therefore you can't really feel what you feel. And if you do feel what you feel, it's a foreign feeling, so you, you've got to medicate it. Mm. 
West, we have this mentality that Western medicine is the be all and end all. Now, I'm going to preface this first and say I'm glad we have it. Yep. Um, certainly, I'd rather have it and not need it than need it and not have it. Mm-hmm. But we've become so reliant on an external entity that is, let's say, big pharma to keep us healthy because we have this mindset of, well, if I'm sick, that guy can cure me. Mm -hmm. And we rely on that for our day-to-day kind of health needs. Now, whether big pharma wants you healthy enough to work and then just sick enough to need some kind of prescription or something, that's... Don't want to get you cancelled early, so I'll, <laughs> I'll leave that there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it makes a lot of sense. It makes billions, if you know what I'm saying. Um, I know what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, it. I mean, if you've if you've gone through someone's cancer journey with them, and see what goes on, it's it's really heartbreakingly obvious what that game is all about but we are taught in our society that we have to worship doctors we have to worship um, these people of of higher power and when you go to let's say like a proper eastern practitioner whatever that looks like yep they're all kind of similar as in, no, it's not, you know, you don't have to worship me at all. I'm not cure. I'm not healing you. Your body's doing the healing. I'm just helping you set the right conditions for that. Mm-hmm. But you have all the power then. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the West, no, I need that pill to get rid of this thing. But I mean, these, the allopathic approach is the, I've got an itchy butt, here's a pill. I want to lose yep. weight, here's a pill. My hair's falling out, here's a pill. And there's no talk of well, how how stressed are you? How much water are you drinking? What's mm. the quality of food like? What's, you know, your two or three closest relationships, how are they going? Yeah. Nothing of that. Because the average doctor visits anywhere between six to, I think, 11 minutes I read the other mm. day. I mean, what can you what can you know in that time? Mm. So, I can't remember what the question was. But, um, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's the answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know if I exactly remember what the what the question was either. But uh, I think you gave me a good answer. And you know, I, I think it, I think it also stems from you know this idea has grown out of that out of out of the Western approach, and it's and it's and it's this kind of ideology or, or mentality that you know, the, the body's damaged or it's flawed from the beginning. And so, you know, I, I interviewed a regenerative farmer, uh, last week and, uh, we, we talked about how, you know, there's a, there's a pharmaceutical approach to farming and then there's, uh, the regenerative approach. And, you know, we, we kind of, until you start to understand the body, uh, (laughs) from a, a more holistic point of view, you, you see the body and you see everything is flawed. And so, uh, the, 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 
the dirt is flawed and so it needs this pharmaceutical input and and by pharmaceutical input i mean it, we need we need agricultural chemicals to to fix the flaw um and and almost no one mm. um can see that what you know what we're talking about is we're talking about um I use the analogy of compost and so we're building the compost where we're we're creating something totally different than then then this flawed thing where we're building we're we're building something where we're we're changing the foundations where we're we're building something with a with a concrete foundation or with a stone foundation whereas what they're doing is they're starting with uh with a sand foundation and then they're adding uh you know inputs to it from there uh, and and inputs that that don't uh heal the foundation they only uh <laughs> i don't know what the word is but they i guess they band-aid the foundation maybe you're putting a band-aid on top of the sand yeah i mean we're in the western i mean when I, i'm being very generalistic here not all there's some brilliant doctors out there who are western based and the awesome I've talked to some already yeah I don't blame I don't blame the, the the person it's it's what it's the um it's the it's the myth behind it yeah the story behind and it's what they get told as well so I mean we get kind of treated as machines like we're just a car that if you've got cancer for example you can just cut it out and you'll be fine so we're infinitely more complex than any machine now this whole ai thing um it, yeah what medicine really i mean i'm sure it knows whether it acknowledges it or not because it requires a lot more open-mindedness and also requires some level of personal evolution to be able to have the capacity to take that on as well is that we are more than just a physical body and you know the mind creates the reality your reality is your perception your perception is your essentially belief system and a belief is really a thought you keep thinking so what's kind of where are those thoughts coming from and they're going back to the last i think question or the one before is we perceive our thoughts consciously through the ego the ego is most mostly made up of other people's ideas of what right or wrong is mm-hmm. so we're not thinking we're just rearranging our prejudices and projecting that onto everyone else but if we were to take responsibility for that for ourselves we could evolve ourselves beyond the level of a client or a patient and that's where real results are going to come because if you're working with someone at that level then you can only take someone to the level that you yourself have developed and a doctor might know a lot about medicine but doctors primarily study disease yeah whereas you know what about health? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to touch on lockdown quickly, if I may. Go for it. Yeah, yeah. You notice the um, health advice, mm-hmm. quote unquote, given by the governments when 
pretty much directly against the definition of what health is. So mm. that's just a kind of a a snapshot into what that whole system is about. It's got nothing to do with health. It's more about how do I control these people? How do I get them to do what I want them to do? Because, well, I mean, let's face it, it's got nothing to do with health. Um, no, no, well, not 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 from someone with our perspective or, or you know. But someone who understands, I'll call it humanism, um, also understands what love is. They also understand what kind of spirit is, realize it's all interconnected and they don't go punishing people because they read a different book or disagree with you. It, um, I mean, we can learn a lot from each other if we just allow it. Yeah, and and there's there's a few things I want to touch on. One of one of them is, I, I guess, um, that could be a point, I'll, and I'll write it down. Is is the myth because um, you know Paul quotes quotes uh, uh, some some other philosophers and and maybe they're Jungian uh, psycho and uh, you know psychologists as well. But uh, he talks about the the myth of 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 our culture or our society today, and he talks about uh, you know at for 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 a long period of time, uh, the myth was that uh, the world was six thousand years old, and that the priest um, was right about everything that the priest was right about, or what the priest said was was the way things were. And uh, at some point, fairly recently, the myth changed from uh, what the priest says is right to what another person in a white robe says is right, and that person became the scientist or the doctor, and so. It's it's you know these people who wear who wear <laughs> kind of significantly they they're they're all wearing a form of a robe or a, or a, or a coat, um, and mm. you know this person in an authority figure or 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 a, a place of authority um, is is the person who everyone uh, gives their power away to or gives you know gives away their critical thinking to, and so if a scientist says that we all need to lock ourselves inside and stay out of the sun and not exercise and, you know, wash our hands with alcohol and, and, you know, um, do whatever else comes along with that. Then that's what we do because that person has authority over us. Um, and that person has, you know, whatever qualification we deem, um, to be the best qualification. Um, and, and, you know, we're, we're all, we're all giving away our, our critical thinking ability and, I'm sure maybe I'm losing some people and I'm offending some people here, but um, what what science has really done more recently is is say that anything deemed to be scientific or written in a textbook or or in a peer reviewed journal um, is the truth in inverted commas, and we give away our ability to think critically about that when you know once it's in the journal, uh, you can't question it. Yeah, that's a, a cultural myth, isn't it? That one, mm. and you know, whatever's written in a double-blind study is the word of God. And yeah, the the reason why doctors and priests predominantly wear white is that represents back in the shamanic days when that was kind of a major religion. Uh, they represented the gods, mm-hmm. so there is a the symbolistic. Um, Don't want to say the word brainwashing, but let's go with it. <laughs> and it's when I was studying behavioral therapy, 
they showed us the science of brainwashing, not to brainwash people. Um, it's more to spot if someone's under a spell. Mm-hmm. And a person by themselves is very intelligent, left to their own devices. However, when you put that person in a collective or a group, they become swayed very, very easily. And it's easy to adopt uh, sheep herd mentality. In Arthur M. Young's model of conscious evolution, that's called the binding phase, which is where you just, you know, I could have shoot a water type mentality, but it's also you do that to keep up with your friends. You keep do that to keep family happy and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Because going against that can be very isolating. And if you don't have the esteem to buffer that, it can be, to your own perception, very devastating. Mm-hmm. And that's why a lot of people take their lives in mm-hmm. that situation. So people don't talk about that kind of stuff because as soon as you do, you get labelled crazy. And our current society is just obsessed with labels. With every <laughs> label becomes a dogmatic thing yeah. to it. And as soon as we get we become labelled something, we attach our self identity to it, which then drops us back into that group that you were talking about, and then the whole cycle just starts over and over again. So you become very easy to control, and not only just to control, but also to <clears throat> keep under a spell. And the reason that happens largely because. I think the I'm trying to think of the numbers. I think twelve. No, ninety percent of adults don't graduate psychologically past who they were at the age of twelve. Mm. So ninety percent of people that you know are kids psychologically, mentally, emotionally speaking. Mm. So when we're born, we're born into a theta brainwave, which is where they take you to in hypnosis, and we need to be in a theta brainwave because we need to absorb everything to learn how to survive in this world in this um well yeah in the world Mm -hmm. and it's not until about ages seven to twelve you start actually forming your own opinion on a certain subject when you hit 12 ish you develop you then have the neurological capacity to take on someone else's point of view Mm. and then equally argue the other side of your own argument with as much conviction. Mm-hmm. But most people don't, they don't have that developed. Mm-hmm. So they take something, they read something, they see something on TV or a paper, and then they take that as gospel mm. without ever questioning it. So they go back into the child mentality phase. Mm-hmm. And what does a child do? They do what they're told. Mm-hmm. That's why um, I said Fauci was Simon. You know, <laughs> Simon says. Simon says, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's that's true. Um, and and funny and sad at the same time. I think. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, talk, talking about how how uh, society likes to. Or, or how we like to label things. We like to to come up with a diagnosis, or we like to say that 
you know, we were talking before about how uh, about diseases and how how we like to uh, to medicate disease. Um, and so, for example, I, I, I commonly use this one. But if I hurt my shoulder, then I go and get a massage on my shoulder. Uh, and we like to, you know, we we want to take away the pain because, you know, I, I guess pain. <laughs> Pain something that we don't want to experience for a long period of time. But um, mm. Paul Paul did a, a, an interview with a guy, um, and I don't know if you if you heard it, but his name's Greg Shamouse, and he was a he was a guy who um, had I, I guess what you'd describe as like a psychotic break after he had um, a general anaesthetic, and I think he was he t- he had some I, I don't know if it was the anaesthetic itself that that caused the psychotic break or whether it was another medication that. Um, he talked, but um, I, I don't know whether it was whether you know he he became a he he suffered with either bipolar or schizophrenia or both. Um, mm. And in this interview where Paul was talking with with uh, with this guy, they were talking about how they 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 kind of rehabilitated him. Um, and what Paul, you know, he he came out on the other side of it unmedicated, and the other side of it was that what Paul was saying was. Back in tribal times, the the person who underwent the psychotic break actually became the the healer or the shaman of the tribe. And so, you know what what they saw as the injury or, or as an injury back then was really, I, I guess, I'm stealing this from someone else, but was really a womb, and it was a womb for the development of that person into the next phase of of their career as the healer for the tribe. And so, what we label now as as a psychotic disease uh and i'm not saying that uh that you know everyone with psychotic disease or with schizophrenia or with bipolar uh or shouldn't be medicated or shouldn't be you know treated um (laughs) i'm not saying that at all but what what i am saying is that um given given guidance uh by someone who has also suffered with that same thing um that that person has the potential to to help other people couldn't be more right um they yeah like the schizophrenic the bipolar the what we would call mental health or mental illness today a lot of shamans saw that as an initiation Mm. and the wounded heal is the most powerful healer so what better journey so what better person to take you through hell than someone who's been there Mm. Like you've got your own personal tour guide and mm-hmm. who's someone who understands where you're at on a very, very visceral level. Mm. So, you know, it's funny how we treat mental illness with tablets considering the mind isn't in the brain. Yeah. So it's, it's how it's perceived now. trying to use words that won't get me in trouble. Um, <laughs> look at something like depression. Mm. That can be a serotonin deficiency, but then you get a tablet for that. 80% of your serotonin is produced in the gut. Uh, let's say anxiety disorder. Anxiety is fear of tomorrow. Mm. Depression is you're stuck in the past. Yeah. Now, Anxiety could be a GABA deficiency. GABA is predominantly produced in the gut and the brain. Mm. So there's an argument there. What about bipolar? 
what neurotransmitters does that need? That's going from manic to sad <clears throat> back mm. and forward. Not realizing that a lot of the time the seed for bipolar was set up in childhood where, for example, you were home with mum all day, dad was out working, you went to bed, dad came home, but you grew up with that. You had one influence. Mm. Inevitably, you're going to have the other influence. Mm. But you get that influence at a time where you needed the the marriage of the masculine and feminine, but you only had the you only had one of them. One, yeah. So when you experience your own life and go through what you're going to go through, and you may have had your entire childhood living that way, I'm not saying it's a necessarily good or bad thing, but this is mm. often how it happens. Then you go through a breakup in high school. There's the catalyst. You you don't have the the bumper bowling rail up yep. to buffer that. So you go from one to the other. Mm-hmm. Now schizophrenia, from a shamanic symbolic point of view, is really just letting too much information in. It's allowing mm. too much reality. Mm. It's um, similar to taking too much mushrooms or ayahuasca or something like that, where the <clears throat> the ego, egoic filter is down or it's more permeable. So you're allowing more reality in. Mm. The reality you typically let in is information where it's in formation. Mm. But if there's too much information coming, it pe- becomes cr- uh, chaotic. So you can't compute what's real, what's not, because there's too much of it coming in. Mm. Now, if you're a native tribe, wouldn't you want someone like that to guide you through your shit yeah 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 of course um and uh, and ultimately what what i think one of the messages that i took out of that podcast that paul did was he's what he really said was what is this psychosis or, or this uh what's this disease ultimately here to teach you like what's what is it showing you what what's the schizophrenia showing you like instead of instead of panicking and saying, uh, you know, my my life is over, my life's destroyed, uh, now I need to take medication and, you know, I'll, I'll need to go and live in an institution for the rest of my life because I'm hearing these voices. Um, instead, maybe create a space between that and say, well, what's, what's this teaching me about myself? Um, and by, by no means am I an expert in this, so take what I'm saying with a, with a grain of salt. You're far more of an expert than me, but... Um, I think that's a, a far more, a, a far better place to start. A, a far more, uh, pr- probably self compassionate and and you know uh, it's a it's a much uh, I, I can't think of it, like a much more soothing place to start. Like instead of saying you know like I said my life's over I'm schizophrenic now um, or I'm bipolar now what what's this ultimately here to teach me. And it, and it, and it, yeah, it, it so, even spreads to depression, I suppose, like something that maybe far more people deal with. Like, what's this depression here to teach me? What's it showing me about myself? Yeah, so that's where the diagnosis can be a, a real double-edged sword. Some people like it because it gives them – they like that label. Oh, there is something wrong with me. Cool. So I've got something tangible to work yep. with. Whereas the other side – the label and the dogma comes with it. It's about having a relationship with it. Now, 
whether you like it or not consciously it's you've gone through the catalysts to activate that mm. now we all have a little bit of depression a bit of anxiety a bit of bipolar whatever we all have that to a degree but because we would in a psychological profile we wouldn't fit inside this little narrow corridor if we fall outside of that mm. then we're on the spectrum of depression anxiety etc etc now how many people are born with mental illness do you know oh it'd, it'd be a lot zero <laughs> well yeah that's yeah i i i i can see where you're coming from it's there, essentially yeah. <clears throat> a learnt behavior Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying, you know, we all have a genetic predisposition to something. So our what we learn in childhood, remember, we're technically under hypnosis our entire childhood. Mm. So we're, we're watching people, we're watching behaviours, we're learning how to survive in this world, yeah. And we need to be. Now, if your parents aren't healthy or your primary caregivers aren't healthy, you have real no option but to be unhealthy. Mm. Now, what's health? Health's typically defined as the balance of physical, mental, emotional, spiritual well-being. Now, recently they've added, um, I think, social to it. Yeah. But you can add social, that's fine. But then if your own personal, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual self isn't balanced, how is that going to go socially? Mm. So I can be sick physically, sick mentally, but fine socially? Is that what the new <laughs> definition is trying to kind of yeah. tell us? It all, it all starts with you from a, you're a point of attraction, you're the, you are your point of attraction. You are your experience type mm. thing. Now, we all come into this world with a specific lesson, a specific um, task, let's say, and it can be as minor or as major as it needs to be. That's up to mm. the person. But let's say you came into this world to learn how to forgive, mm-hmm. right? Now, for that to happen, you're going to need someone to forgive. Mm. So this is where our soul contracts come in because you would have made a soul contract pre-incarnation with someone who's going to come along at the age of 25, let's say, and smash your heart to smithereens, mm-hmm. betray you, do the worst possible things now that's your opportunity for a lesson Mm. in today's world you'd be the victim that victim mentality can set up anxiety depression bipolar pick your poison but if you are able to have a relationship with that and see the bigger picture of it what's the point of me going through this right now And maybe it's not evidently clear at that particular time. But then in five years' time, you're going to meet someone 
or go through an experience and think, oh, thank God I went through, I had that experience and now I'm able to deal with this this way. Mm. So if we can just open our gaze up a little bit instead of seeing something happening to us, we can really see it as a FedEx from heaven. Mm. Happening for us rather than to us. We were taught to think that way. Yeah, I tried to avoid saying it that way because it's a bit Hallmark card, but yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. I, I, I see your point there. Um, and and I, I guess um, <laughs> we like we've, we've probably lost some people already, and I'm saying this every time I do a podcast now as well, but, um, you know, a, a lot of this actually comes from from guys like Carl Jung, who we base all of our psychology, our modern psychology on. And, and I, I guess we're, you know, our, the, the medical system picks and chooses which parts of Jung's psychology they, they want to incorporate in their system. Um, but basically what you said uh, was, was, mm-hmm. was a discovery from, from Jung, and I'm sure many men previous to him said the same thing. But, um, you know, if we've lost it, if, 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 if people are, you know, upset by what they're hearing, just remember that, um, you know, the, the psycholo- like the psychology system that uh, you're using or that the medical system is using is, is based on the same, <laughs> on the same one as, as, as that. Mm. And also that comes back to the, you know, the original Bible days because the original Bible was written in Aramaic Aramaic's made up of 16 characters, each of which can be translated up to four different ways, but the Roman Catholic Church at the time chose specific characters to mean specific things, and these specific things were actually written in metaphor, but now today have been translated literally. Mm. So we have a whole culture worshipping out of fear rather than the love of growth and evolution. So what polarity does that set up within the psyche? Mm. Mm. Profit. Yeah. Yeah, very true. I, 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 I'm, I'm trying to think about where to take this from now. And I, I, um, I, I guess there's a number of different rabbit holes that we can go <laughs> anywhere down. Want. Anywhere we want. Um, well, let's, let's talk Same. a little bit about, um, you know, um, I guess I guess I'd like to know a little bit about how you how you actually became an instructor for the Czech Institute, and then how what 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 way of thinking and and what I, I guess education you chose to to take um, along the path of becoming who you are today. I'm going to turn my camera off again. Didn't get the first part of that question. Sorry. Ah, sorry. I've just turned your camera off. You can turn it back on again if you like. Um, so, uh, I, I guess the first part of it was, and I've turned my camera off again now. Is um, you know what? Take me through the process of of becoming a, an instructor for the Czech Institute, and then and then um, you know your your incorporation of of like Baral and and visceral manipulation and some of the other things that that you've incorporated into. Uh, I, I guess into your education and your like who you, what what's what have you incorporated to to end up uh, being the person who you are today?
Okay, I heard <laughs> this uh, is yeah. how to become an instructor and something about Burrell. So yeah, um, can I can I talk. repeat it once more for you, or or is it still yeah, breaking up? Yeah, okay. I'll turn the camera off for you. Ask. Yeah, okay, cool. Um, yeah, so so the question was, um, I, I guess, take me through the process of of becoming an instructor for the Czech Institute. Like, obviously. Um, for people who don't know, I imagine that's uh, not a not an easy task. I think um, as as you develop through the levels, things become more and more technical and complicated, and you know you've got to present case studies and uh, and prove uh, based on your work that you know you're, you're capable of of doing. Um, you, you know, it's it's you're not just becoming educated; you're showing the practical application of your education as well. Um, and then I, I guess how you incorporate the Baral side of things and, and anything else that you incorporate and, and how you, I, I guess, use that to become who you are today in, in what you're doing today. Uh, I've got that in its entirety. Thank you. Oh, awesome. Um, must be the camera trick. Could be. Um, i trying to give the first part. Oh, the instructor. Yeah. So I just asked Paul what I needed to do. Oh yeah. And yeah, nothing too complicated. And I had to contact a specific person in the Institute who's no longer there. And first of all, I had to do, you had to have done HLC three IMS five. Yep. And, or what is now IMS five, um, CP four back mm-hmm. in the day. And when you've done all that, you have whatever class you're teaching, you have to sit in five of them. And over those five different classes that you're sitting in, you get a bit more. Um, I think the first one, you're just sort of a witness watching how it works. Then you might present a certain subject, then you might present two subjects, and then maybe half a day and whatever mm-hmm. that was. Now, I was working kind of under someone in that regard. And this, um, what happened? I couldn't even tell you what year this was. <laughs> I think it was 15, okay. 16, thereabouts. But um, I was, for lack of a better word, apprenticing at this point. Yep. And the person who I was apprenticing under just left. Okay. I don't know why. I'm sure there's a lot more that I don't know than I do know, so I'm mm-hmm. not going to comment too much on that. This person left and I got like an SOS to, I got like two weeks notice saying, can you teach mm-hmm. exercise coach? So I did and it's, yep. I've been doing that kind of ever since. Um, the process to kind of get to that, Apart from Paul going, you have to go through his boot camp um, yeah. initiation, which we can't talk about on camera. Um, <laughs> I thought there must have been something. <laughs> no. um, essentially, to go through the levels, so there's prereqs for level one, prereqs for level two, mm-hmm. and prereqs for level three. To get to level four, you have to submit case histories. And um, they have to be marked by a faculty and ticked off to attend level four. 
Mm-hmm. To get to level five, you've got to submit case histories to Paul himself. Now, I can tell you it's a, um interesting experience getting a call from Paul asking you to explain your program to this person. <laughs> You turn off, you turn into that guy from The Simpsons who speaks like this, and everything that you know as logic, as all this information just goes. Yep. Just goes. So I remember being on this call with Paul, and he's like, What does this mean? What did you get them to do that for? How come this is like that? And just I'm shaking Mm. in, you know, back in the old Skype days. Yep. And just sort of in disbelief of what I was doing, like mm-hmm. who I was talking to in that moment. Yeah. Like I'm talking to Paul. <laughs> like it's a bit of surreal yeah. situation. And he's like, well, you know, if you want to come to level four, you've got to do this. And I said, no, no, that's, that's fine. Yeah. And the way the conversation was going didn't sound that great. Mm-hmm. from my point of view and like I was taken back to exercise coach day one type oh, yeah 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 and then he finished the call I was like okay great we'll see you at TP4 oh yeah like, <laughs> bastard um no but it was just uh he to let you in he connects to your soul and asks if you're ready and then yeah you get invited so that's how I did the instructor thing. Um, the Barrow stuff came because I wanted to work with the organs more directly and I didn't mm-hmm. really understand what uh, what a major impact that would actually have. I knew some nutrition stuff. I had an advanced diploma in nutrition prior to becoming a personal trainer back in mm-hmm. the day and... If you, yeah, I mean, we think IMS is full of anatomy. Visceral manipulation is neck level. Yeah, okay, know. okay. Yeah. Um, so is palpation. Oh, yeah? As well. Some students have asked me to teach them visceral stuff, which I'm happy to do for the right kind of students. Yep. It's, um, I mean, you know the experience of, Trying just trying to locate PSIS yeah. on some people, which is a bone, yeah, which sticks out. In visceral manipulation, you've got to find the left triangular ligament or the portal vein or the the superior mesenteric artery, mm. and it's very subtle, and you've got to just tap into the it's almost feeling then thinking Mm -hmm. whereas most anatomy is thinking oh that's what i'm feeling Mm -hmm. it's it's the opposite so those two modalities work really well together Mm -hmm. and depending on the person would depend on different kind of um depending on the person would depend on the approach so everyone who comes in to see me, they would get a bit of, I don't call it 
visceral exclusively because there's also a neurological or neuromeningeal. There's the brain aspect and there's also the vascular mm -hmm. aspect. So sometimes someone's liver or their heart or their stomach might not need to be physically worked on, but the atrium of the heart might have some tension to it mm. or the carotid artery or the vertebral artery or the iliac artery. Something like that might just need to be opened up a little bit and mm. that's the, the floodgate. So um, by definition, it's called medical massage. Okay, yeah. But no one knows what medical massage is, so <laughs> I end up talking about the organs and stuff anyway. So, yeah. Um, what was the last part of that question? Sorry. Oh, no, I don't, I don't remember. Uh, but, but and that's okay. I, 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 yeah. I, I guess another question's popped into my mind now. Have you come across the guy Perry Nicholson? Uh, Stop chasing pain. He's a he's a chiropractor who got into uh, lymph, like lymphatic massage. Rings a bell. Yeah, he's he's a cool page to follow on Instagram. Um, he, yeah, you know, he's talking about some similar stuff, and I think he studied a little bit with uh, with Baral as well. Um, but yeah, I, I I do find that very cool. Um, on, I've 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 sort of lost my train of thought a little bit. Um, but I, I guess another question that I had for you was, um, you wrote a book, uh, and I believe it's called Doing the Wrong Things Right, and um, you know, it, it's one of those things where, you know, when you start lifestyle coaching people, um you know, everyone has their little vices. And I think you talk a lot about, you use the word vices specifically, but, um, you know, mm. I, I think when I first took uh, exercise coach or, or whether it was HLC one or something like that, maybe it was when I first discovered Paul's work. I, you know, I, I almost got a bit neurotic about it where I was like, you know, can't sugar and, you know, lolly, you oh. know, um, and, and, you know, it, it really is neurotic when, when you start to be like that, because, you know, you're, you, you're not you're no longer living you you're you're actually you know um <laughs> you're what you you're surviving just to be healthy um and that's really not being healthy mm. um and so i i, I guess what yeah. you what you did in this book was um you you started to break down um you know how you can how you can make uh i guess your vices are less less vicey um if if that's the way to describe yeah. it but um one of the things that I, I think um, Paul has done in in he's probably been doing it for a long time, but um, I think you maybe in the cover of your book or maybe it was a it was a story you put on um, Instagram a little while ago. Um, you showed uh, Manitow tobacco, and I, I know Paul does a lot of work with tobacco now, and and you know we all have this idea of of what tobacco is, and you know how tobacco causes cancer and. You know, it's the last thing you ever want to use if you're a healthy person. Um, but it's it's again one of those things, and I, I find tobacco to be such an interesting topic because, you know, there's a book that Paul quotes about um, a medical doctor who wrote this book, and I can't remember who it was, but it's like, you know, the healing properties of tobacco and how this this guy used tobacco to, to treat people with medical conditions. And when you really investigate mm. what's actually uh, in tobacco, well, tobacco is tobacco right but when you investigate what's actually in cigarettes there's a lot more to it than just mm. uh the leaf and so mm. i guess you you start going down this rabbit hole of again really investigating and thinking critically for yourself um mm. how this potentially 
healing uh, plant has been bastardized into something that uh, is totally not what it what it used to be. Yeah. So I can't remember what year I wrote that book. That book was originally a pamphlet. Oh yeah. Okay. That I was giving to uh, clients because I was sick and tired of being asked, well, "What should I eat? How do you want me to have coffee?" <laughs> blah blah blah. And I realized pretty quick I wasn't going. I mean, someone who has five coffees a day, if they hear someone the massage, I think I was just a massage therapist at the time. They hear their massage therapist saying, you need to cut out coffee. You're just going to go to a different massage therapist. So <laughs> it was me kind of meet, trying my attempt of meeting them halfway. Mm. And as you said, we've all got our vices, right? Yep. Some it's chocolate, some it's coffee, some it's alcohol, some it's sugar, tobacco, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So I just wrote that book to say if you're going to do the wrong thing do it mm. the right way mm. you don't have to have the guilt associated with it at least you're getting some nutrition mm. on board but even a quote-unquote healthy food if you have that too much that can become a problem as well so mm. it's all about that balance and mm. there is such a, a a dogma and um a misunderstanding of tobacco, not that I smoke it or anything. It's, mm-hmm. um, I mean, a cigarette and tobacco, arguably two different things. Yep. But you talk about um, money to tobacco or however you pronounce it, I'm not yeah, really sure. Yeah, whatever it is, yeah. Um, if it's preservative-free tobacco that does have a lot of healing benefits. It can be great for digestion, great for fungal and parasite infections, mm-hmm. uh, has a very linear linearizing effect on the brain mm. to help thought processes, especially if you've got a big to-do list. And I, so as an example, I occasionally vaporize tobacco and it's, And Paul got me onto it, so technically mm. it's his fault. Um, <laughs> but when I was having it with him, it was just really depending what you put with it. Mm. Tobacco becomes dangerous when it's exposed to flame because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's when nicotine is released because it's a fat-soluble vitamin. Mm-hmm. When you vaporize, you're just heating it up. That's all yep. you're doing. So you're just um, taking on the water molecules of the plant that's really all, all it is. Mm. So I was walking, so with my ex-girlfriend, I had a dog and um, taking the dog for a walk on the park one day and so, I stood on something, didn't feel great, didn't think too much of it, thought it was maybe a bindi or something like that. Mm-hmm. I developed a very itchy inner thigh within about five minutes. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was, well, it was a hot day. Maybe it's heat rash. Looked at my foot and it was sort of swollen, mm-hmm. like on the sole of my foot. And then I got more and more itchy under my armpits. And I looked at my arm and it was just a massive rash mm-hmm. through here. I thought, right, something's got into my lymphatic system. Oh, no, <laughs> type thing. And I was, by the time I got to the car and trying to get the dog to follow me, um, I had welts. Mm-hmm. 
So I'm having a anaphylactic fit, nah, fit. Reaction, reaction yeah to something i still don't know what bit me i'm assuming some kind of spider yep so i got into the car looked in the mirror i had welts over my face my <laughs> eyes were bloodshot i could start to feel my airways uh, just yeah. gently mm, mm. close up and as i had to work just a little bit harder to breathe mm. so i'm thinking Okay, the dog home, do I go to a hospital? What do I do? And as soon as I asked, I tried to just sort of sit there and like ask Soul what you want me to do. Mm. I've got a very clear picture of tobacco. Mm. So what I did, I got some tobacco, some herbs, and I put one drop of peppermint oil mm-hmm. in that mix. I vaporized the bag of tobacco within 20 minutes, completely symptom free. <laughs> wow. That is a true story. Yeah. Hundred percent true. Yeah, that's that's very cool. And my my ex will, if she's listening, she'll verify this. Attest to that. She saw me. I took a cold shower prior to do yep. something. I don't know what I was going to do. Because oh my god, you've been hung <laughs> by a thousand bees or something. So and yeah, I, I think um, I, I think one of the cool things that you learn about tobacco or, or nicotine, I, I don't know where, which. Which, which one it actually is, I don't know whether it's the nicotine or whether it's the tobacco itself, but it's actually one of the few things that stimulates the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system simultaneously. Um, yeah. And, and so that's, that's for true. anyone wondering why it can aid in things like digestion, um, you know, due to the stimulation of the parasympathetic nervous system, then, you know, that's, that's the reason why it's having that mechanism, right? Yeah, absolutely. As soon as you, I mean, think about, Back in the trading days, it was um, pepper, cacao, tobacco. Mm. They were like the highest valued things to trade with. Yep. Um, today, I think pepper still has a good <laughs> good scorecard to it. But um, yeah. yeah, so when you take on tobacco, it goes into the lung meridian because you're inhaling it, obviously. Now, the mm. lung meridian overlaps to the colon or the large intestine. Ah, so you get a peristaltic Yeah, gotcha. To it. And because it goes into the lung, it gets absorbed quicker. It also gets exo- uh, expelled quicker mm-hmm. too. So you can vaporize tobacco, get a full body tingle, yeah, which is yeah. the tobacco going into the bloodstream, but it only lasts a couple of minutes. Yeah. I went to um I went to Zen in the garden in, in 2019, I think it was, and uh, and Paul had the the volcano out at the end, and I remember that exact uh, experience. Pretty yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I I guess I'm kind of like sometimes I use these podcasts as just an opportunity to to ask someone questions, whether <laughs> whether other people are interested in it or not. Hopefully they are. But one of the last questions that I've got for you because we've been talking for nearly two hours now is um is I, I guess you touched on the meridians and and uh. And I, I know a lot more holistic dentists are now using the meridian system because they know that teeth are on the same uh, meridian system as certain organs. But can you speak a little bit? And and I, I don't know the extent of, of your knowledge on this, but how the how the piezoelectric effect of of uh, I guess the teeth and and the meridian system act together? Yes. Yeah, so the piezoelectrical charge will occur. And the main conduit of that has, um, is 
has something to do with salt as well. Okay. So anytime there's an on-off mechanism, be it muscle contraction, chewing, mm-hmm. on-off type thing, yep. you create this piezoelectrical charge. Now this charge is what Jerry Tennant would call charging the battery packs of the body. So the way he explains it, he's a, uh, I think he's a medical doctor and a dentist from memory. He's definitely a dentist. Yep. So he talks about the body as different battery packs. So mm. you think holding a flashlight, you got batteries in the handle, mm-hmm. and the the piezoelectrical charge goes from one battery to the next, like the positive, the negative, positive, and carries on so on so forth. Yeah. So how that would work from firstly a let's say spinal point of view, you got your intervertebral bodies on the top. You've got a positive bottom you've got a negative positive negative that creates electrical charge going down and it's reversed as it goes back up Mm -hmm. with the muscle slash um, the fascial system which is more the the fascia of the body is kind of like the body's wiring system yep so a muscle contracts relaxes contract relax you get this piezoelectrical charge which stimulates the meridian on that nerve channel Mm -hmm. sorry the um the nerve dermatome on that nerve okay. channel. Okay. Yep. Now, so when you're, in... yeah. So yep. when you're, also the myotomal. Okay. Well. Yep. Yep. Now, with the teeth, each tooth is connected to a certain part of the body. Each tooth, so these your front teeth connected mm-hmm. to liver, kidney, um, inner eye. And it goes back around, I think, C4-5. Certain segments of the spine and down, I think, the these fingers and first two toes. So that's what that tooth complex is connected yeah. to. So when we bite down and release, bite down, release, we create this current. Mm. which charges the meridian and let's say it can be it can work both ways but if you have a tooth missing and you bite down it can create a um a torque of energy instead of the energy kind of doing what it's doing it Mm -hmm. creates more of a torque in the fascia which kind of in some people can create like an energetic chinese burn somewhere in the body so it'll be unexplainable pain somewhere but it's actually coming from the tooth Mm. so anytime you bite down you charge the meridian each certain meridians overlap into certain other meridians and in my book what pain is telling you there's a whole diagram and what connects to what and etc so the teeth are really the beginning and the end of each um, acupuncture meridian depending which way it's going now I think it's 96% of cancer patients recorded had um, root canal surgery. So the teeth are really the circuit breakers of the body from a physioelectrical viewpoint. If there's something going on with the tooth, it significantly um, decreases the charge of that meridian on that particular 
part of the body. Now, it could be the lung meridian, the stomach meridian, pick your organ, anything. But the more charge that meridian loses, that goes then into the neighboring meridian, which initially tries to um, keep it charged up, but it inevitably is not going to be able to because the circuit's broken. Mm -hmm. And then that meridian next to it starts to lose power because that one starts to mm. suck the life out of it too and it just cascades 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 and this is a potentially decade or, or two process usually yeah so it doesn't happen overnight so that's why tooth uh tooth health teeth health dental health is so important yeah and that's why paul talks about certain metals in the mouth, having two different types of metal in your mouth can, can create electrolysis, which stuffs up, disturbs that piezoelectrical current as well. But then muscles can't function as well, fascia can't function as well. And then you systemically start to decay from the inside out mm. as well. You, Not you, a lot good comes from it. <laughs> you, you, you've scared me now. Uh, and, I, you know, I've, 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 uh, I've mentioned this <laughs> to my to my dentist friend before but i've had uh i've got a root canal in my front left uh tooth got knocked out when i was around i think it was when i was 12 uh cricket ball um i was with keep with no with no helmet on and a, a cricket ball chipped the tooth off um and yeah there's a little stump left and yeah the the nerve died and then a couple of years later um they extracted what was left of it out of there but it's kind of one of those things that i've always thought about like oh you know what can i do to um, you know, I, I guess there's a question for you. Like what's the, what do you do once you've had a root canal? Aside from. So what you can do is work with what's called the A. So for what? Well, I was going to say aside from stay on top of the diet and lifestyle sort of stuff. Well, yeah, that's, I'd like to say that's a given, but a lot of people wouldn't even think to do that. So yeah, apart from that. Um, you can work with the AV joints, which is the alveolar joints, which is where the tooth would sit up, the joint where the tooth would sit up into the skull, tacked into the periodontal ligaments that connect directly to the brain. So if you have, so the, if you, I'll try and do this and talk. Yeah. Go up as high as you can into the gum mm -hmm. where the tooth would sit into the skull. And if it's tender, either side, then there's tension around that joint. If you can ease the tension, then that will at least take some pressure off I'm the doing brain. That right now. It will also tell, sorry? I'm doing that right now. Yeah. So if it's tender, good chance there could be some scar tissue left over, which scar tissue is acidic, so therefore it's going to irritate the nerves. And but it ultimately tells it puts pressure on the brain from beneath. Can also tell a specific part of the brain that it's under tension. And depending on your, we'll call it cerebral profile, meaning if you're more inclined to be left-brained or right-brained or creative, uh, creative or an overthinker, a feeler, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, it could either sap that part of the brain where you process that or it can excite it overexcite it so where we learn so where we process our um 
our social self mm-hmm. is predominantly um, prefrontal lobe left side where we social where we process um, our deep self in rela- our, ourselves in relation to ourselves is the prefrontal right brain so if you have pressure on that part of the brain you could start feeling symptoms of issues with self mm. as an example for that but it's not a necessarily a mental thing it'll be perceived as a mental thing because we'll start feeling that way because that part of the brain that processes that information has pressure on it so its Mm. capacity to compute that is diminished yeah gotcha that's something that i i want to investigate and you know even just even just applying pressure on that tooth i can i can feel um what kind of makes me think of of what obeka describes in the book the body electric where um you know he describes feelings of phantom limbs um and you know the the electrical feeling of the limb still being there when it's when it's no longer there uh so yeah it's a, it's an interesting thing and, yeah. and probably a rabbit hole that i'll need to go down a little bit further i think um it, I, I guess on the note of of uh you you kind of have you it's uh, it's I, I love talking to to people who who have a deep understanding of the body because you kind of have a look on your face that you're like I, I think you you've sparked off something and I can see that um that there <laughs> um, on on the on the on the topic of piezoelectric energy and and what you've just explained um how does that relate to to Paul's working in exercises and the way that um you know, you use those specific exercises and those zone exercises to charge different areas of the body. So the zone exercises or the work in uh, modalities that he uses, they're really designed to bring energy or chi or oxygen into a particular part of the body. So he's broken them up into six zones, which just happened to correlate with the chakras. He didn't use the word chakra because that book, How to Eat, Move, Be Healthy, is essentially written for Western minds from Mm -hmm. an Eastern perspective. So he just changed it to zones. You'll notice the pictures in the book, they're all corresponding. um, The shorts he's wearing is all corresponding colours to said chakra. So... Let's say um, we're talking a lot about the liver today. So zone three. Mm -hmm. Now, the actions of the movement to aid the motility of the organ that corresponds to that particular zone, the movement works perpendicular to the motility of the organ. So the organs, so I don't know if, on visible or not, but the liver has a motility like this, sort of side to side. Mm-hmm. So most of the zone three movements are extension, flexion, extension, flexion. Mm-hmm. So that pumps the organ system. It also helps kind of lubricate and get more blood, more lymph, more oxygen into those spinal segments. So between T5, T9, mm-hmm. and if there's a blockage there, you'll obviously feel it, but you can work into it. That's why he couples the breathing mm. with it. 
when you remove those blockages, it allows that piezoelectrical charge to reconnect through the upper and lower chakra systems for that. So I challenge any one of my patients, when I get them to do it, sometimes I feel a bit silly, but um, we just go through the list and find the one that feels the best for mm. them. And I've never, ever had anyone say they felt worse from doing it. Yeah. And the hardest bit about doing them is just doing them. Yeah. You'll never regret doing them, but it's just the getting into that start position and then <sighs> as soon as you get to the second, third rep, you're on your way. Mm. So I, <clears throat> I would often do them after a workout, especially if I've got a huge day ahead just to kind of recharge the batteries. But that's, that's how that would work from a piezoelectrical point of view and if you're let's say doing breathing squats and you start shaking a lot or getting kind of almost doms or lactic acid build up in the legs that's an indication of where that charge could be blocked as well yeah okay okay interesting and so when you're i uh, hopefully i don't keep you here for another hour but i'm, I'm fascinated by this this topic um <laughs> so the way you describe the piezoelectric energy and and the battery system of the body every time you do uh a tai chi exercise or a zone exercise you're charging that battery and so it's almost like you're using kinetic energy to charge um to charge the body and and you know we we say kinetic energy but i'm i'm also you know using well the word piezoelectric energy and in the book which i keep referencing the body electric obeka talks about uh piezoelectric energy when a crystal is uh like a like a quartz crystal uh if it's if it's morphed in any way when there's pressure or compression on that crystal it creates a piezoelectric charge and so that's what's happening in an electric lighter when mm -hmm. you turn the wheel of the electric lighter and it, it it strikes the uh there's a there's a quartz crystal in there and, and the warping of that quartz crystal is what creates the arc uh that lights the lighter um and so that's what's happening uh, at at some level in the body when you're when you're uh, doing those zone exercises. But I guess my question from there would be: the fascia, therefore, uh, like a guy like uh, the fourth phase of water guy, um, is is describing uh, fascia and water as uh, as liquid crystals. And so. Is is the fascia therefore a, a liquid crystal, um, and and is that what, you know, is is the same effect as the warping of that crystal or the compression of that crystal happening in the body when you're when you're moving? The way I would answer that, <clears throat> sorry, sorry for the massive the, question. If you look at what bones are made of. No, that's all right. It cut it cut out a little bit. But I'll again, turn my I'm, camera off again. Got the the gist. Um, so, our bones are made up of crystals. Mm -hmm. um, Appetite and, and collagen. Crystals have certain. Um, yeah. Each 
certain parts of the body are made up of certain kind of crystals. Each crystal has its own resonating resonating frequency, its own um, – can't think of the word right now. Its own thing. Mm-hmm. Best I've got. <laughs> and the combination of – so when you're moving, let's say, the bone is under a certain amount of pressure. So those crystalline structures within the bone are activated. Now that energy has to go somewhere. So that energy then gets translated into the muscle, which attaches to the bone via the musculotendinous junction. That joint complex and the tendons of the muscle have what we call um, mechanoreceptors, which inform mm-hmm. the brain where that particular joint muscle is in time and space. Mm-hmm. That then energy gets transferred into the fascia, which has more of elasticity effect mm-hmm. compared to muscles. And then that energy goes from like a rubber band, you put in the kinetic energy keeps going. That's where we get movement from. We have different types of fa- uh, fascia in the body. And interestingly enough, it actually, if you look at a cadaver, di- uh, cadaver dissection, Mm-hmm. In and around the heart, you have a lot of, um, they call it soft fascia. I can't remember the clinical name. It's, they call it soft, medium, hard fascia. The hard fascia is ma- made more of collagen fibers. The medium is kind of a combination of both, but depending where it is in and around the heart, it gets softer to the heart because it has to tra- uh, transfer blood and blood, oxygen, and water from, say, your big toe to your heart, and it has to do it mm. nonstop. So the further mm. away you get from the heart, the more collagen fibers are around the arteries, around the fascia, around the nerves, et cetera, et cetera, because it has to have more integrity in order to kind of pump that thing all the way back again. With what was that other, the first bit? Uh <clears throat> Let me try and remember the question now. Uh, it was a long one. Um, yeah. So I, I guess I was asking about, um, you know, the, the piezoelectric charge that that is related to, um, you know, creating energy yeah. in the body through zone exercises. And, you know, the, the what, um, what, like the, in the book, The Fourth Phase of Water by Pollock, by Gerald Pollock, uh, he he describes um, water or the fourth phase of water as like a liquid crystal, um, and so we were talking, or I was talking about how perhaps um, the fascia um, being being uh, I, I guess surrounded by or, or en- enveloped or, or you know saturated in that fourth phase of water. Um, mm, yeah, if if okay. if the effect of of movement of that is is creating the piezoelectric charge. Yeah, so each, I mean, the movement, a lot of people think movement comes from muscles. Yep. Where that's 20% true. The Each muscle is encased in a fascial envelope, which stores the kinetic energy, which allows movement to occur. So if you're doing a deadlift or an Olympic lift, yep. 80% of that lift is coming from the fascial system. From a um, a... A charge point of view, 
that that fascia i'll try and show her on this water bottle so the fascia isn't necessarily like that it's kind of like that yeah in different layers so layers are going to do that with mm -hmm. the the energy which allows us to openly rotate and do all kinds of weird and wonderful movements now water needs to be a certain um we need to be it comes back to more hydration than anything because 75 percent of the water sorry 75 percent of the muscle is water mm -hmm. and i think fascia i can't remember the number on fascia but fascia is the main wiring system where body the where water is transferred through the body mm -hmm. so we have fascia surrounding everything mm. and it's the the tensegrity elasticity proponents of the fascia that allows that movement to happen not only from a waving your arm or walking point of view but also from water getting to your big toe to the brain mm. or from lymph moving pumping serenal spinal fluid and more towards the midline of the body it gets it gets more to be um think of seaweed in a current okay yeah as my plasmic flow serenal spinal fluid going up and down the spine cleaning the brain and then it gets kind of more and more erratic as it goes out it becomes more and more um what's that uh like pulse yeah yeah okay yep yep yeah yeah so water is required to do that salt is required to do that and also um the crystalline structures within the bone communicate to the mechanoreceptors in the tendons which tell the muscle spindle cells in the muscle how to respond now out of that the collagen picks up the elasticity from that as well and that's essentially where you get movement from mm. That's how you know. So even like in a, can't remember the name of the crystal where they put in compasses. Oh um, yeah, I've, I've got Google here. Yeah, but that's also found found in our sphenoid bone. So we're, yes, okay. we're a living compass, right? So it's not just all about the electrical current, but all of these crystals have a certain. Um, Certain Property. properties yeah. that have certain oh, I can't think of the word, I'm brain farting on the word. But like a certain crystal helps navigate, certain crystal helps pump this up, certain crystal helps calm that down, certain crystal helps kind of pump that up. Our bodies are made of all these crystals. Mm -hmm. That's why when you walk into a crystalline cave, you will feel something. Mm-hmm you'll feel like a, you're being worked on type yeah. thing and certain crystal shops. Let me say this. If you ever walk into a shop, <laughs> probably around Byron Bay area, <laughs> um, you go into a shop with there's heaps of crystals. Take a look at the owner. They are not stressed individuals. Yeah. I'll, I'll say that <sighs> um, because they're being harmonized all day. They're being mm. worked on all day and their bodies probably basically resonating with their shop mm. 
and that can be translated into you know physiology movement day-to-day stuff your your capacity to handle stress being lost and trying to figure out where you are in relation to everything else because mm-hmm. everything's made up of these little crystals mm. and if you're walking in a path and you're lost and something just tells you to go right just yeah. something you don't know what it is that's the crystalline structures within the bone informing everything else all the other tissues that gets to the brain mm. and then you oh i'll go right mm. and to the degree that's healthy and functioning and cleaning your body you make the right the right yeah decision. yeah 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 yep. it's not you'll probably go left yeah that's uh that's very cool and and you know again to quote that book and i'm sure there's plenty of other books uh like the body electric but it's, it's just the one that i'm i'm kind of diving deep into now but uh, you know it, it's it's he's showing the the intelligent design of the body and how there's like this crystal lattice of of in in bone and it's it's like the the uh the collagen fibers are interlaced with with appetite fibers and then there's one individual piece of 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 one molecule of of copper uh within the bone and he's showing how the bone is is led like it's literally a light emitting mm. diode uh and i've heard paul talk and I, I i don't proclaim to know anything about this beyond what i've heard paul say but how the bones act as batteries and there's a positively and negatively charged end of each bone um Mate, hopefully I'm correct on that, but um, it's it's just like the 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 complexity of the body and the way it works is, is far beyond what what any of us are capable of probably comprehending. No, our bodies are way smarter than we are. Um, you know, our bodies have survived millions of years of evolution, and our conscious minds have only been around for in my case 40 years so i'm not going to compete with that yeah um, i enjoy understanding it yeah. and learning about it i'll never master it never but um yeah it's pretty i mean the anatomy that makes up a human body you can't help but just to marvel at it yeah whoever you pray to in in awe of like if just as a quick example if you got every nerve fiber laid it end to end it would stretch just shy of a hundred thousand kilometers which wraps itself around the world two and a half times mm. <laughs> same amount with every nerve there's a with every nerve sorry there's a corresponding artery so you've got that stuffed in you Mm. that's just kind of two tiny examples and we we've lost the awe of this um this exceptional gift that nature's given us um and the things we do to it (laughs) um yeah very cool so you know i don't want to take too much more of your time and i i do appreciate it so um if if i there's a guy who I think that you might be interested in, um, and I've I've just sort of taken you know a little bit more. Or I've, if you've heard of the podcast that Matt Maruka has done with with Paul Check, the guy on 
uh, the light dye wearing like blue light blocking glasses, like the young dude with mm. long blonde hair. He learned from a guy who's a neurosurgeon called Jack Cruz mm. on, and he's like an expert on, on light. Um, and some of the stuff that he is, he's the science that he's producing on electricity within the body and electromagnetic fields and, and how light interacts with the body and, and how the body is electric before it's chemical um, and, and stuff that you've mm. probably been aware of for a long time is just like, it's just blowing my mind at the moment. And, uh, you know, mm. he's, he's, he, he talks about how, um, you know, you should train outside in sunlight and the specific reason for that and how tissue changes when it's exposed to infrared light and, and, and full spectrum mm. light and how, non-native emfs and and uh you know uh narrow spectrum light or or narrow band light um dry out tissue mm. um and it's it's just like it's just fascinating it's it's like again um one of those things that that you, you just got to be in awe of because it's it's impossible to to completely comprehend but um where can where can people find you they can find me anywhere really <laughs> um I'm not huge on Facebook, mainly because I forget to check it. Um, yep. I've got Instagram. I think Matt Sorensen HH for Heal Hub. Uh, I've got HealHub.net where I've got a range of different online programs and um, online learning stuff there. Also, you have access to check education Mm -hmm. stuff on there now with your own little discount um when you click those um and since june last year i opened up a physical space and there's an online platform as well truewoo.com t-r-u-e-w-o-o.com it's about half truth and half woo woo so merging spirit with science and we we have a physical space here in cronulla with lovely bunch of practitioners and we all work together support together and we're all very open-minded um and we all just kind of work together and try to make this world a little bit nicer so yeah cool yeah that's where i'll, I am. I'll have to come and give you a visit someday um appreciate your time today matt definitely we're, we're hosting courses here now. no pleasure absolute pleasure yeah cool um I'll, well, I'll end it there. Um... <laughs>